Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast, a podcast where me, John Sekatowski, and Nick Gibson will be discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. And this week, we have a visitor. His Hello. name is Luke Zika. Thanks for joining us, Luke. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Um, so, oh, also, the last two weeks, um, it was Thanksgiving, and then I was in Miami, so we didn't have a podcast. Uh, and so, and also I want to say sorry for the horrible audio in the one before this one, the dating part one, because it was, it, it was, was horrible and Luke <laughs> couldn't even listen. To I couldn't even get through the whole podcast. <laughs> it was tough. It was tough. So that will never happen again. And, and that was John's fault. 100%. <laughs> so if you don't you'd like, like to it, be our new sound guy, let yeah. us know. We our new sound it. guy is John Sekatowski. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we rehired him, but we, we, yeah. we got to um, talk with him. Cool. So yeah, I decided that we were going to do dating part two because it seemed like there was a decent amount of negative feedback from the very first one. Probably most misunderstanding, but I think we should talk about it more. Um, And so we brought Luke onto the podcast because he's got a different perspective on dating and how it should be done and this and that. And so Luke, I'm just going to hand it over to you. What, what, how did you date? What is your perspective on this whole thing? And can we, we, before, before you do that, can we, can you summarize or when you guys summarize either what we said in the last podcast yeah, or what people good. heard yeah. in the last podcast. John can do that. This was... I think, okay, so let me, but you let, let me I'll try to summarize it really right fast now. and then you guys can tell me if this is what you think. What we basically said was don't just follow your heart and go along with the flow and do what everybody else is doing. Instead, recognize that you do don't have sexual rights to a woman or another person who you're not married to within the Christian framework. And therefore you should proceed in a way in which you're finding out whether or not you want to be with a person and it should be non-intimate in the physical sense. Um, and then there was some more stuff we filled that out with, but that the, um, the hookup, do what you want, follow your heart, whatever wasn't a good idea. Right. Yeah, that was my my understanding of at least how I was trying to present the stuff that we talked about was starting kind of with with basically, yeah, like two pillars and those pillars being one, somebody you're dating you don't have sexual rights to and two, that the point of dating is to discern if a person is the person you should be with for marriage. And yeah, and I, I imagine one of the things we said that some because I, I hear the the dislike was five women to one man ratio, right. and I think one of the reasons why some women may not have liked it was also in relationship to saying you also don't have dibs on somebody you're not married to, mm-hmm. and I think women tend to be a little bit more desirous of stability, mm-hmm. and so although dating stability is bad for them in some ways, it feels really good in a lot of ways because it feels like you're in something stable that's going somewhere. But I think that's one of the tricks that ends up getting played on women. And we may want to come back to that. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we did say in the podcast that you don't have dibs on somebody you're not married to. Right. Another guy can come along and ask her right. out. And that's perfectly legitimate because you have not made a covenant of commitment and you right. have no sexual rights to her. Right. And him, vice versa. That's also true. Yeah. Something else that we heard some feedback on was um, that some parts that we talked about were perceived as sort of legalistic. So like kind of drilling too far down into details. And so first I would give a caveat at the beginning of this podcast that this is all advice. This is not like, this is not necessarily saying this is exactly how it must be done. Cause but, we talked about in, in the very beginning when I said these are hard theological and cultural topics and Nick was like, yeah, this is straight out of the Bible. Yeah. It's, it's not. <laughs> 
And that's the point that we're trying to right. just talk about what dating looks like because it's not in the Bible. So what should it look like for Christians? Well, yeah. So I, I would caveat that slightly. I think there's a lot. There is a lot in the Bible that should be that should be imposing itself on dating that doesn't just because we use the word dating. So just because we've used this word to describe this new category that we've come up with, we've then decided, oh, it's it's not like nothing in the Bible applies to it. So it's kind of, it just needs to be felt out. And I, I do think that part of the argument needs to be, no, there is more in the Bible that should impose itself on dating than we give it credit for. But... Right. The word itself isn't used, so it is hard to to yeah, know and, exactly. And I, I'm really nervous about telling, especially people who are not theologically educated, that if it's if there isn't a sentence that explicitly says it in the Bible, it's mm-hmm. not biblical. Because the level of ignorance related to what can be surmised from what the Bible says is mm-hmm. <laughs> high. And so um, I think it's important to recognize that, like, for example, the Bible has a whole theology of human nature mm-hmm. and how human nature interacts with sexuality and therefore what is profoundly predictable given how human beings commonly behave and that to ignore that is profoundly foolish, mm-hmm. right? In one sense, none of that can you get one verse and go, there's the verse. Mm-hmm. But if you are literate in the entirety of the Bible and you've worked that into your understanding of human nature and human behavior, the way we naturally do dating in like young people, even Christian culture mm-hmm. is entirely opposed to the biblical understanding of human nature, romance, covenant, sexual rights, all that. And mm-hmm. I, I, that's, I don't think that is quote, not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It is biblical. If you know enough to put it together and most people don't. And so the last thing I want is for somebody to walk away and be like, well, this is not in the Bible. So whatever, I don't have to listen to these people. It's mm-hmm. just advice. Well, advice classifies as, the direct application of absolute facts to whimsy. So, so the word advice is doing a lot of work there and creating a lot of equivocation and that it could mean anything. Mm-hmm. So I just, I'm a little concerned about that, but, yeah. but I'm keen to hear about Luke's view on dating. Right. Yeah. Luke. Well, it's, it sounds like I'm not going to have anything crazy different than what these guys have talked about. Um, so. What's We're going on? Technical difficulties. Keep going. Okay, sounds good. They're working on the thing. Distract me. Um, so when I dated my now wife, having dated other women before, I, I came in with a couple key things that were like really, really, really important to me um, with like the, the main piece I was looking for was the friendship piece. Just knowing that me and her had really, really good companionship. And that was something that I feel like I had missed growing up in Christian culture, talking about dating and, and purity and, and hearing all those talks and stuff like that. It, it did get boiled down to me a little too much to like a theology or a system or um, I was caught up in the like thinking that two Christians should be able to, to date and make it work. And if they're both, if they both love Jesus and um they're both trying to, you know, they're, they're both fairly aligned in terms of how they think about ministry and that kind of thing. It should work and they should be able to get married. And I think so much of that is still true. I was just way on that side of things. And I, I wasn't thinking so much about the romance, the friendship, just the, the genuine compatibility um, that I'd had with previous um, girls that I dated. So that was really important to me coming in. And the reason I asked my now wife out was because I was just like, I 
would I want to be friends with her. <laughs> her personality is really interesting to me. I think we'd have a really, really good friendship. And I also knew her walk with the Lord was solid. I knew that she had a great reputation and I didn't, I wasn't questioning whether she loved Jesus. And so that's what was absolutely foundational to me when, when Rachel and I were dating was, um, do we have a friendship? Do we have a compatibility? Cause that's, that felt to me like what most of marriage would end up being was just, um, two people who are, um, essentially, um, in a relationship that is, is really built on friendship. And I think you guys talked a little bit about like the humor aligning or something in the last podcast, I remember. And I think that's really true. And I think that's really important. Um, so that was, that was like my main takeaway from my previous dating relationships. Although being told that, um, because we are in a time where people are getting married later and later and they need to commit and, um, you know, people, a lot of people do just follow their heart and they don't bring in theology into dating. So I think all that stuff is really, really important to talk about. Um, I personally was like just too caught up in that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that is a lot of the advice I give to guys where I just say, find a woman who you, you trust her walk of the Lord, you genuinely trust it and just see if a, a friend, a natural friendship is there. Like, would you be friends with this person if you weren't romantically connected to them? Um, and for me, that was really, really important. And so that's a lot of the advice I give to guys, I guess. Um, what yeah. is, so what is romance then? Cause I know we talked about romance and, and I have no idea what you're talking about. Like what, what is romantic? Like what is, what, yeah, what, what is, what is like, okay, romantically and what is romance biblically? Andrew is from a generation for which romance is obsolete. Right, yeah, it is, not, not, it is no longer. <laughs> okay. So can we go back to, to Luke for just a second? Because yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much Luke wants to get into this, but (laughs) the woman who he was dating seriously immediately before his wife was exactly what he's referring to in the negative of a woman who had a great walk with the Lord, Mm -hmm. super person, very intelligent, clearly would make a great wife, interesting, like a great, great, great. Like all the things. Yes, everything. Everything. And so later on, Luke is kind of like, I think I'm just with her because she's so great. And every and we had similar goals, and then everybody just said it made sense for us to be together. Mm-hmm. But that I think what you're call, calling compatibility, that like mm-hmm. the enmeshing of their personalities into creating something which is like a deep interpersonal natural affection that flows out of interrelating, just wasn't as strong I think for either of them as they'd hoped, and so they ended up breaking off the relationship. And I so I think for you, there's a very illustrative. Like he's experienced both of those things really profoundly. He was dating a incredibly great woman mm-hmm. who he didn't have that with and they decided to break off the relationship and then he dated a girl who he did have that with who's not, as far as I can tell, better. I'm doing quotes in the air. But like that <laughs> right. he liked better. Right. Yeah. And so that, I think it was very wise what he did. I think we I was had, with him when he was breaking off the first yeah, one. Yeah. And I think he did the right thing. And we had a bit of the issue too of... Everyone just got so excited about our relationship because we were pretty well known in the church. And so mm-hmm. when as as soon as we were talking, it was oh my gosh. Like you were getting, as the young people say, shipped. We were getting yeah, people people when there was just this rise of interest in our relationship and it just it just got in my head, man. I was like, Okay, well this is it. This is what I'm supposed if to do. If everybody else thinks it's great, it must if be great. everyone else thinks it's great. And um one of the things her because the breakup was hard, but she ended up being like, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. And one of the things her parents said, they were like, yeah, you guys weren't romantic with each other. Yeah. Like it made sense. And you guys connected and liked each other. 
but there was just there's like no romance it, it felt forced and i was just like okay i should not be with someone who it, it, it i it our whole lives it'll feel like i'm forcing emotion for her or affection for her it's just not going to feel genuine and i think um or it's intermittence will be rare. Yeah. And, and I was like, she's too great of a person to have a husband who's not genuinely into her and just has chosen to marry her out of obligation or um, out of this thinking like, oh, this is the, the correct thing to do, as Nick had kind of said. So, yeah. yeah no, we, listen, I, I believe and I think John does and Luke does. We believe that there is a good insanity that comes with being affectionately and infatuatingly in love with a person. Um, and that that's a good thing. However, it's a very powerful thing. It can be profoundly destructive as well as beneficial, but it is something you want to have. Right. And that's part of how we're wired to be both physically and spiritually and emotionally and all of that. Um, but how we prepare for it, how we interact with it, how we, it's also fairly predictable how we, um, prepare ourselves for it. Th- that is an area of important prudential careful thinking and acting otherwise it becomes like a tide you get swept up with and you'll do anything on the basis of it and that's when it can be horrifically bad but i mean chesterton said that when men and women marry each other they should be basically in a state of temporary insanity in love being in love because otherwise a man and a woman would never sanely marry each other because right. of their profound differences right well and I, I i'm reading song of songs right now because that's next in my devos and it there's just so much passion <laughs> there's so much genuine like this woman is the most beautiful creature in all like in all of the planet and that has to be there that piece has to be there and yeah for most people that's like the only thing they're thinking about but i do think right now in the church among young people we maybe have lost a little bit mike Beresford has talked about how weddings nowadays aren't as romantic they're very christian they're very spiritual um they're very god-honoring but he was like yeah there's not like love songs stuff like that and i don't know if that was a very specific era of weddings he's talking about um but I, it was interesting it was at least an interesting thought maybe go, yeah maybe i don't maybe there is some of that that's lost i don't know but Wait, yeah before you guys continue because can we like define romance still can we can we do that because I'm, I'm confused as to like what is romance and where is romance supposed to be used and what is like a healthy use for romance because we talk about dating friendship and you aren't romantic with your friends but if you're trying to date and find a wife don't you have to be somewhat romantic right also define romance first because <laughs> I, I don't know how i'm using this term <laughs> do you want me to start yeah i mean in, in some ways Romance uh, is a a group of choices of how you're going to interact with somebody of that you're inclined towards with uh, with a more than platonic affection. Like so, you like them like romantic romantically or like sexually, so to speak, right? And um, you are going through a set of like structural dance moves, so to speak, and like emotional um, back and forth offering yourself emotionally receiving back from them emotionally seeing if they're respond responsive to you delighting in their responsiveness towards you and um like it's almost like a song like you're going through these song these verses and choruses back and forth and it's moving towards a louder and louder crescendo till you get like a very sexy key change so like it's in that sense it's sort of it's a natural human dance that is increasing the intensity of affection towards each other sexually and relationally, wholly, hopefully very holistically, that's going to lead towards um, 
well, sex and commitment and bonding and those kinds of things, which is then adjudicated or made permanent through a covenant. So, you, so would you like what you guys are saying was that that type of romance should be a natural thing that just happens, shouldn't have to force it, right? Did you feel like it was like kind of forced and like you would have had to have forced it in your first relationship or the one before your now wife? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think um, there should be a, a good bit that's just very genuine and very natural. There are times where you have to choose to love the other person, I think, or choose to show affection. Um, but I think, yeah, at their core, I th- like the thing my wife wants to know is I just genuinely love her, like her. I'm attracted to her. I'm interested in her. I'm infatuated by her. Um, if it feels like it's it's all forced, yeah, that would bother her. But that doesn't mean I just display it or show it whenever I want to or whenever I feel like it. Uh, there's times where I think the the whole Christian doctrine of love being a choice, despite the other person not always deserving it, is true. Um, but there's got to be, yeah, some kind of very natural drive to pursue the other person, I think. Um, but that's that phase is going to come and go, and it's going to be strong in the beginning. And it's, I mean, Nick can speak more yeah. into how this looks. I've been married for two years. So for me, this is still, it's not the thing I've had to think, oh, I really need to. Yeah. And I think your temperament, Luke, knowing you a little bit, right? I, I think your temperament is you are fairly discriminating in terms of like your romantic affections a little bit like it wasn't super easy for you to pick a girl and get really in- into her. There are other men for whom they're ready to get into any girl that walks by. Sure. Um, in fact, a lo- most men under about 25 years old, really more like under 32 ish years old are so driven by testosterone and like their sexual urges that they have plenty of chemical assistance to get into just about any girl that like has the right general body parts. And so, I mean, it's, it's very, and also it also like, there are all these psychological things where like, if you were with the worst looking woman in the world on a deserted Island for two years, she would look hot. Like there's also like your mind naturally norms you to whoever you're with. And like, so there's all these things like kind of, because men and women are, are created to mate with each other and to really want to. Right. So part of it is like, when you talk about romance, you're actually talking about a fairly complicated thing. It's one of the reasons it's not very easy to, it's not very easy to define. And most people just want to use shorthand for it. Like it's, it's the things we do together to encourage deeper sexual, emotional affection with the person that we're into. Right. But even that, what triggers that is different for different people. Like I could say, if you watch a romantic movie or if you watched a hundred movies and five of them made you cry at some point, because of how love happens, what is likely to be happening when you cry? And it, sometimes it's very different for different people. There's some things that really get some people and that don't get other people at all. So for some people, acts of commitment that are objective acts of commitment ge- like generate a huge romantic effect in them emotionally. So there are about half of the people that I do weddings for cry during their wedding. Some of them cry a lot during their wedding. And there's another like maybe half people who it doesn't. They don't cry at all at the wedding. I don't understand how you can not cry at your wedding. doesn't make any sense to me Did at you? all. Did you cry? Absolutely. I was a mess. Yeah. We had like six minutes planned into the wedding before our vows because we pretty much knew that was going to be the case, right? 
but like that's the only time I cry. I oh, I am only moved to tears at acts of sacrificial commitment. That's the only thing that gets me. You pick any movie I ever cried at. It's always somebody makes a sacrifice they didn't have to make and they did, and it was selfless, and it was because they believed in something. It's a wonderful life. I always cry to Same. I always cry at the end of Mulan. I always cry. Like there are very key things that <laughs> always get me. Yeah, I have daughters. And so we end up watching it. It's I always cry at the end because the because the father says none of these things you've accomplished matter, right? The yeah. fact that right. So it's always the father daughter scene that kills, yeah. that kills me, right? So like in that sense, romance isn't easily defined because what triggers a romantic effect or feeling in people really is different for different people. And part of what should happen for a Christian is that even though we want that kind of effusive, like just like artesian like like blowing up out of bubbling out of the ground from it should feel like it's bubbling out of the ground from nowhere it's not really coming from nowhere your values and your belief about what's true and good and noble what commitment looks like what love really means presets in your heart what is going to say this is love that's happening right now to me this is love and so if your if if your heart has been programmed by the world and by the tv shows you watched and by the movies you've looked at and by the ways you've been hurt and right. And that's then that's going to control what feels like romance to you. But if the gospel, if you find the the coming life, death and resurrection of Jesus as the most romantic thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. And if that narrative, that story primes what you believe commitment looks like and what, how that's beautiful and what that means, then what's going to trigger a sense of romance that you is going to be different. Right. And so, I mean, I think that that's, it's really important to recognize that what people think is romantic is not spontaneous. It is preset by a set of beliefs that you have that you may not have chosen intentionally, but that are governing and dictating what you think is romantic. And for most Christians, it's entirely dictated by worldliness, by a non-Christ-centered, anti-Jesus metamorphosis of what we're supposed to feel loved by. And so I think that that creates conflict with a biblical view of dating and what feels romantic to people. And then people hear a biblical view of dating. They're like, well, I don't like that. And it just, it must be wrong because I know it intuitionally at a deep level. The problem is that deep level intuition that you feel in some ways is coming from a misprogrammed sense of romance that has come from the media you've consumed, the worldliness that you're around, what your peers have thought and so on what you saw with your parents that disillusioned you, blah, 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 blah. Does that make sense? John, what does, so what does godly um, romance, what part does that play in a, in a dating friendship or Mm -hmm. does that play a part in a dating friendship? Because when I think of friendship, I think there is no romance that that needs to happen in friendships that Mm -hmm. what that's makes sense to me. But if you're trying to find a wife, there has to be some some sense of romance that's that plays a part in that search. Where does that? Yeah. In my experience, if you're pursuing a friendship with a woman and you're getting to know who she is, what her character is, the kind of ways that she cares about other people and serves other people, and um, the the types of values that she has, things like that. You don't really need to like program romantic experiences in order for romance to be present. So like that's my that's 
when I talk about this, this right, this quote unquote dating friendship paradigm, the, the thing that I'm trying to push back on that is this, this sort of programmed, like sexually charged experience that we call romance. That might be like a, an intimate candlelit dinner with a V neck that plunges too far down and stuff like that. Like that's the idea of romance that I'm pushing against. I'm not pushing against the idea of romance as you like get to know a person and are in that getting to know that person. Like you feel kind of this pull towards them, this pull to get to know them more, this pull to want to bond with them, this pull to, um, to want to like put bounds around your relationship that would come in engagement or marriage. Um, so I think the way to express romance in a dating friendship is to pursue friendship and to pursue really getting to know a person. And as that happens, you're going to like, assuming the person assuming right that you are quote unquote compatible with this person and assuming that you are attuned towards things. Um, like Nick was saying, like assuming you're attuned in a certain way to find certain things romantically attractive, like you're, you're finding out that this person does have a walk with Jesus that is deep, that they get life from that. They, they are spending time with God that you find out that this is the kind of person who's willing to make and hold commitments, that this is the kind of person who's willing to be a friend with people, even when it's hard, like you don't need to program any experience for romance to happen in that yeah. situation. Yeah. So like one distinction you could say is like a, a Christian, a profoundly Christian understanding of romance would be a longing for the other person that leads to an organization of permanence. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you're if you're in this dating friendship and more and more you feel like I just, I, I want to be with her forever. Like I, I like I have to have her. I ha- right. And it, it leads you to be like, we need to form a family. We need to get married. We need to right. That is that feeling of romance, right? If it's like, I need to get her out of her clothes, that's not what that's we mean by romance. Lust. That's called lust, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and the rom- the Christian romantic impulse would say, I must delay my lusts until they're confirmed by the commitment of permanence. And a Christian would see that as romantic. And, you know, if you talk to the average woman, I don't care how disillusioned they are in the wake of the sexual revolution or how much they've bought into it, romance that does not create exclusivity and permanence is not a romance they actually like. Mm-hmm. They accept a certain amount of sexual advances and sexual short-sightedness because they're hoping it's going to lead to permanence. Mm-hmm. But virtually no women like something that we might call romance if it's not leading to permanence Be- because of because of the peculiar state of mm-hmm. femininity and its relationship to fertility and love and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Right, when you guys talk about this romance, this this to me it sounds real, but like we were talking about before the podcast, um, one of the issues that people had with this whole idea, this dating friendship slash dating capitalism, I, I thought of that. Um, the, those I, the, the that the whole idea is that um, I think women mostly feel like it's a checklist. And men go in and they check check it off, check it off, check it off. I either like this girl, or I don't, and then and then throw it, throw it to the side of the curve. Like it just doesn't feel real. It it feels non personal. And uh, I, right, I got especially that with sense. the title dating capitalism. Right. Well, that's <laughs> just the that's yeah. Okay. Right. But um, <laughs> which neither, I would argue for dating friendship. Dating friendship. <laughs> right. I just think you know I don't know. Um. I, yeah. Dating friendship. Dating friendship. Right. And so 
it, it feels non-personal. It feel it doesn't feel real. Is is what I've the feedback that I've gotten from women. Yeah, it doesn't so, feel real. It just so feels something, so. Something that is real about this is, um, there is less security with this idea. There is less security in the quote-unquote sort of interim time. So in the time where you are dating before you're engaged or married, there is less security. So in some ways, that feels less personal for that reason. Um, but I don't think that necessarily – like I remember there was a – Well, it at least doesn't have the false sense of security that right, quote dating right. – Right, exactly. Creates in our culture because I, I know all kinds of people that they were dating people and it felt very secure until they got hosed. Right, which is not not uncommon. Right, and in many ways is is worse. Yeah, at least at least in like how it feels afterwards, it feels much more. Right, because those women would have if I if you ask a woman who dated a guy for two years and then got dumped, mm-hmm. if you said would you have preferred to feel more insecure in your relationship throughout if you it would have ended sooner? Most women would be like absolutely. Yeah. If I would have known I was wasting my time sooner, that would have been so yeah. much better. And the kind of things that we're talking about, yeah, it feels insecure, but it also leads towards permanent decisions much right. quicker. Right. And it makes you, it, you know where you stand much better. Right. There, it, it may feel worse, but it is in fact better. Right. As, as, right. That drive to want, the drive that attends romance attuned correctly, that wants to kind of put its arms around the relationship and and protect it from other people instead of that like sort of feeling like it's being gotten in a we've decided this is a thing until we decide it's not a thing anymore like instead of having that feeling that sort of sating that desire to want to protect the relationship it has to drive you forward into engagement and marriage instead like because that's the place where that protection is found so i think um, when I hear the, oh, this sounds impersonal, this sounds like just a checklist, this sounds like these different things, it's like, okay, I get that kind of, but I don't think the issue is that it's just that people are coming in like robots and being like, do you check off the list, do you not? You no, know, it's just like because the thing feels more insecure in some ways, it feels like it's less personal, but you're doing it with eyes much more wide open. You're doing it with a much clearer understanding of what you're actually going towards. And there's a much better chance that something is going to happen quicker with less devastation if it doesn't happen. Um, and I think those are all goods that are worth getting if on the other side is slightly this feeling of, oh, it doesn't feel quite as secure as if we had given it a title. Um, even though, right, in reality, that's that's not meaning it's necessarily any more secure than and, not having a title. And I think that's non-sequitur to the question of a checklist, mm-hmm. right? I mean, whatever that means, having having a checklist just means having criteria, right? If you're resolved not to marry somebody who's a serial rapist, then you have a checklist, right? <laughs> the question right. is not, do you have a checklist? The question is, what's on your checklist? Is it reasonable? And what does that mean? The idea of having criteria of what you're looking for in a spouse is just allowing reason rather than just the seething hormones of your loins to decide who you're going to be with. <laughs> and that's, I think, really godly and and smart and prudent and right. And so, yeah, it's very true that men and women can have very unreasonable checklists that they make in their minds and it lead them to think nobody's good enough and for them to ultimately be alone and all that. I totally agree with that. 
but you, what you actually hear us saying when we when I talk about this is I say you're looking for someone suitable to marry. Mm-hmm. That's not a phrase you would use if the checklist was like voluminous, right? Mm-hmm. Like if by checklist what they mean is like in some youth groups, for example, I remember when I was in youth group, there was we did this exercise where where the group brainstormed what would be on a list of things you're looking yep, for in a right. spouse. Yeah. And so you've got like, and the girls and guys are split up, right? And so the girls end up brainstorming like 47 things, right? Because there's <laughs> there's 35 of them and they've all got ideas. And, and then it's brainstorming. You can't judge anything. So you write them all on the piece of paper and then they just take it off and stick it on. Oh, this is what we're looking for. If that's what you mean by checklist, I am 100% against that. 100% against that. But if by checklist you mean, Somebody who's walk with the Lord you trust, mm-hmm. somebody who you think is going to handle problems well, who's a problem solver rather than a problem perseverator, somebody who ch- knows how to be happy rather than is always making themselves miserable. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some things you want right. in a spouse and you don't want to be without them. But, but I think you should have as minimal a list. Is it the term checklist that was the problem? Because it's it feels reasonable in everyone's mind. They want the person who's interested in them to have reasons why they're interested in them. <laughs> well, right. here's what I think. The, the, but maybe the term checklist in people's minds feels like that impersonal right. issue. But I it, think that the problem here was that, yeah, checklist was the term that was used, but I think that the issue was, was like much deeper with, with everybody. Cause when you guys use the term term checklist or when we talk about this, you guys are on the same page, but for the average Christian, yeah. they're not because they don't think the same way that, that you guys think. And I think, um, I think it comes down to to like having a mind like Christ and godliness because it does sound systematic. the The best way that I've been able to to think through this is that, and I don't know if that I think there's a quote from James Naismith. He created basketball way back a long time ago in um, Canada. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in Canada. <laughs> sure. You just broke um, Andy's heart. <laughs> I, I try to keep a flowing checklist of everything Canada has done for us because I tend to not like Canada and I want to stay positive. And there's some things. There's some good things. Right. So. Yeah, they have some good. They're good at hockey, I think. Um. So yeah, he created basketball. I don't know if this is his quote, but I know it is a quote. I'll just say it's his quote. I don't know. It's the quote is that Allegedly. like basketball is a game to be played, not to be coached, and um. So what did we do? Then we started coaching basketball. And throughout time, when you look at high school and college basketball, it's become very systemized and very, very – it's, it's less creative. It's not as creative. At the NBA level, it is very creative because those guys are just – they're doing their own thing. They basically coach themselves. But Oh, I, I would have thought just the opposite. I would have thought NBA basketball is the least creative basketball. You're wrong. That's, that's my experience watching that's, it. Have you ever watched the Badgers play basketball? It's the most systematic oh. white basketball. Oh I've no, ever the seen. Badgers are the most boring. But not every team. college team. I, I would say the majority of college teams are systemized, and here's why: is because the this is not a sports podcast. But here's why: <laughs> um, uh, is because they're always these coaches are constantly trying to make these systems, these offensive and defensive systems. The problem is that when you have five different players on the court, um, each player has a different skill set. Each player is good at different things, and this all plays a part in this dating thing. So let me let me bring it full circle. But yeah, you're gonna lose the ladies probably. Um, <laughs> th- th- there's five different <laughs> th- there's five different players, and they all have five different um, skill sets. And so you can't make a system that really takes all five of those players and really uses them to their best potential. You just can't. The only way to use every player to their best potential is by individually coaching each player and growing them up and making sure that they are the best at what they do. If Nick is really good at rebounding in defense, then as a coach, the coach is going to want to really like 
really hone in on that and be like, hey, let's practice that and also practice the other things. But let's get you really good at those things so you can help the team that way. If Luke is a knockdown three-point shooter, which he is, we're going we're gonna to be like, Luke, get on the three-point line and we're just going to have you shooting hundreds of shots and then you're making it. If John is really good at filling the, filling the water on the bench and giving it <laughs> to everybody, we're going to have him do that. And so I think that this plays a part because it feels like to the outside to the outside Christian world when we talk about this that it's a system and that it only works for certain people when I think the, the major problem is godliness and it's like how do you create godliness how do you create the best player you coach them individually how do you create godliness you disciple them individually and and in and, and groups but people don't have the same mindset as you guys in when we talk about this and I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes from yeah yeah okay so let's try to bring it out of the sports metaphor yeah for those who aren't sporty um so in dating as in sports right there are still a lot of fundamentals you have to do to get it right that have been tried and true over long periods of time Mm -hmm. like in basketball you shoot one-handed you'd never shoot two-handed except for in a very limited number of situations and that's not relative Right. And yet what you're saying about different players being good at different things. And so the hustle and flow of how to maximize your play with other players has to do with the individual players and reading them and understanding them and flowing off of them. That's true. I think the same is true. I mean, to that extent, you can use that metaphor for dating that there are biblical and anthropological or in relationship to human nature norms that if you screw with those, you're going to suck at this game. Yeah. Okay. And that's true for dating and basketball. Right. Right. Not as many biblical norms for basketball, but <laughs> but like in relationship, but at the same time, there is a hustle and flow to every player. And so, yeah, you're looking for a wife or a husband that has a hustle, hustle and flow that you can work with. That's true. And that's, that is a big part of selecting who is if you believe that if your checklist is normative and like a whole bunch of people could check it off, then from there, who from there, right? And the answer is, well, someone you like. And what what does that mean? It should mean something like you can have a good hustle and flow with them. Like, because most of the time you're going to be running your life with them. So there's the friendship part that Luke talked about. There's also the compa- the functional compatibility. What you're going to be doing with that person more than anything else is making a life work. So playing a sport with them is as good a metaphor as anything, I guess. And so you want those, you want, you want your, nor- you want your quote checklist. Yes. Mm-hmm. But then you you have your personality compatibility. Do I like being around this person? Will it be fun to have a life with this person? And then two, can we execute a life together functionally? Now, you'll notice there, we haven't said anything about sexual compatibility or sex or how well they kiss or any of those things. Yeah. And that's part of this issue that you can have all these different dynamics functioning and engaging in a romance of desiring to be with somebody and none of that necessarily involves putting your hands on them, right? You, if you go back to the thing you're saying about romance, most of the women probably who are listening to this podcast have, have watched Pride and Prejudice, the BBC version, right? Or have read Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. A lot of women will say this is one of the greatest depicted romances in literature that they know of or have seen on the screen. Or the notebook. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, the notebook would not be a good example of this. But like in that romance, Darcy never puts his hands on her. Or she to him. But he is tortured by his infatuation of love with... I mean, he can't live without her. And yet, um, they have never touched each other. Because you don't actually have to. If you desire the other person sufficiently, 
the, the physical acts that go along with sexuality take care of themselves because they're simply an expression of internal wanting and desiring of the other person and the expression of it. So like, because of that, what you're looking for, just it, you got to be careful how you define romance mm-hmm. and how you think human beings actually properly bond with each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a checklist is part of it, just like general athleticism and a player is part of it. But then there are also fundamentals that are part of it. Mm-hmm. And then there are these other things of like hustle and flow, personality and compatibility. Mm-hmm. And all those go together. But what I see in a lot of modern younger Christians is they want somebody they like because why would you not want somebody you like? And they want somebody they feel like they're compatible-ish with, right? Great. But those other two components are super important and they're actually, they're, they actually precede the other ones because you don't want to start falling in love with somebody before you've checked off what you need to check off. And that's and dating friendship allows for that better than just sliding into whatever feels right. But isn't this all based off of the idea that it's like godly people looking for godly people to get married to, right? Because I think that there's a confusion on what what is godliness, and you wrote a book about it, Nick. But and I thought it was decent. I thought it was good. I thought it was good. <laughs> uh, it was a good book. Uh, but like, I this is kind of off kind of off the dating topic but not really is what is godliness because i think that what happens in the church is that there's a bunch of ungodly people looking for ungodly people to marry and their checklists don't align where there is a healthy checklist in a godly person and their checklists don't align and everybody's like i think i'm godly and my checklist is this and this person thinks they're godly and their checklist is this neither of them are godly they're both their checklists are stupid and the, and so like wh- what for is, lack of a better word yeah for, yeah for lack of a better word so <laughs> what what is godliness and how can you and how does that play a part in in dating and because we we make the assumption here that this is godly people looking for godly people but that's not the assumption that everybody else makes because i think a lot of people have deceived themselves into thinking that they're godly and then yada 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 what's what mm-hmm. what do you guys think on that well so i think something that's helpful um about Right, so systems are dangerous to a degree, right? But the thing is, so to go back to your sports analogy of high school basketball, college basketball, professional basketball, part of the reason why you need more of a system when somebody is younger is because they aren't, somebody who is in high school playing basketball is not capable of the same things that somebody who's playing professional basketball is capable of. And what the quote-unquote system does is it helps prepare that person. Like it uses it uses the strengths that come from tradition in order to infuse things into a person through discipline so that they might then later be free enough to be able to improvise in all these different ways I so would, for so for example like so yeah so you like you don't want a, a sixth grade basketball player if you like had to score a basket at the end of the game you wouldn't tell a sixth grade basketball player okay go out there and do whatever feels right mm-hmm. but right. you might tell a college player who is really good that yeah, you might go say look you got to read the play and do what feels right because right. they're gonna overplay you or whatever right, you're a smart basketball right. so your judgment yeah. like whether or not you should live or die by your judgment has a lot to do with the development of your judgment right well how did the judgment get developed well it got through. usually developed through a system through coaching through certain things or through experience. But the problem with dating is you do not want to develop sufficient experience in dating through experience Mm -hmm. because 
if you don't have good experience yeah. and you do what feels right, you're going right. to get hurt a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. If you lose 50 basketball games, yeah, your ego is going to be hurt, but you really, it doesn't matter. You've yeah. lost yeah. some stupid sports games. Right. If you lose in 30 relationships, like you're going to be pretty dang hurt. Yeah, right. right. So that's like a brief, just a brief justification for if something feels kind of systematic, like the point isn't the system in itself, but the point is hopefully that the quote unquote system is set up in such a way that it's going to lead you towards godliness in this particular sphere. So like another example of this is in, in, um, in California, they introduced, they, they looked at good readers and they realized that people who can read really well, just read the whole word at one time. They don't like sound out the word each time they're going through. So what they tried to do is they tried to teach kindergartners how to read whole words at a time, as opposed to going through first the process of sounding through the word before they did the whole word. And literacy rates plummeted, (laughs) plummeted. So it's like, it's in the same way you need, like you need to be able to to see and work through yeah. the fundamental pieces first before you can get into all the improvisation that happens in real time. Right. So the advantage of a, of a quote unquote system is that hopefully it's set up in such a way that it's growing you in those things that should you have the humility to come into them, understanding that you don't have it figured out and kind of giving yourself to the system as a way to grow in those different things. It can be incredibly positive. Like this is, this is something that we do also with, um, me and Luke lead in forgiven and free, which is the men's purity ministry here at high point church. And for guys who are just coming in, we make like a pretty regimented, this is what needs to happen. Like you need to lock down your phone. You need to lock down your computer. You need to like a a very rigid system is put in place. And as somebody grows in their ability to handle those different things, some of those restraints get removed. It's like, it's the same in every single human sphere. So the, So this might feel systematic in the area of dating, but the only reason it feels systematic is because we've gotten so off track. We got lazy. We don't like discipline. Right. We've gotten so off track that we need a system to kind of retrain us into, okay, what is the right way of thinking about this? What is the right way of acting in this? And we need something that's going to be a sufficient split from worldliness that is pulling us in all these different directions, especially in the sphere of dating. It's hard to imagine how the how dating in American culture could be more chaotic. I mean, the only thing I can think of is if rape was okay. It's the only, I mean, honestly, it's one of the only things I could possibly think of to make dating more chaotic in America uh, among just the general public. And if people who are believers either have been believers very long or who have had their understandings of how this should go formed by the, cult, the culture at large, they're going to have extraordinarily chaotic understandings of these things and so therefore anything is going to seem like a crazy system mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. if it's like a couple criteria mm-hmm. you know, yeah like, yeah i remember uh when i first started going to fnf forgive them free and you and vince and you guys were like lock down your phone start doing these different things and i was like no way jose <laughs> i was i'm not doing that that's 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 a system that's like you know that that's all that doesn't work because I my my main argument was like I want it to be a heart change. Right. The or, problem is right, that exactly. the Jesus is like if your right arm causes you to sin, you know, cut it off and if your yeah. eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And I like completely dis- I threw that out. I was like that that one doesn't <laughs> well, count here. Well, the easy the <laughs> easy thing to then put any system under is under the banner of legalism. And it's yeah, like no. Right. 
Yeah. No, legalism is a different thing than... What is it? What is legalism? Like so legalism it? is trying to do something for the sake of creating a right standing with God. So trying to follow certain rules for the sake of, if I follow these rules, yeah. then God will, will love me. me. Yeah. As opposed to... No, I recognize that I have weaknesses, so I'm putting systems in place, not so that God will love me, but so that I can really grow in this area. There's a different, like, there's a difference. Yes, both of them are quote-unquote systems, but you can't just equivocate between, oh, this system that's that I'm trying to use to earn God's favor, as opposed to this system where I'm trying to recognize that there is a weakness in my life that I'm trying to deal with. You're trying and to those, kill, like, killing, the, the thing that, has been on my mind lately is ki- killing your sin or right. murdering, like putting your sin to death. And a lot of people think, um, oh, I'm sinning and I want to stop or I'm mm-hmm. sinning and I don't want to do that anymore. But that's not really the case. It's like yeah. if you're powerless to sin, you're, you're human, you're humanly powerless to sin. You can't just stop. It's always right. going to win. You have to kill it with Christ. And, right. and yeah, in, the, in the book of Galatians, the metaphor Paul uses is that you ha- you have to crucify it. Right, crucifying your sin is is gruesome, but you have to kill it. Mm-hmm. And it, and the problem is 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 when something's causing you to sin, like you cutting you cutting off your hand means that your hand is unable to work anymore. It's dead. Mm-hmm. And so if you have to cut things off, that's not legalism. That's not being. That's not being like extremely legalistic. That's being legit, like genius. That's smart. Saying I want to have a relationship with God, therefore I'm going to cut off the things that are destroying my relationship yeah. with God. Yeah. Like, if right. you were cheating on your wife with somebody and you wanted to stop, you would have to cut off a relationship with the other person. You'd have to kill that relationship. You'd also have to do other things because that's really messed up. <laughs> but, but no, that, but that, that would be a no. When you when, when you work with a couple though, where there's been infidelity, that is the first step. It's you have to cut off all all interaction in any way with the other person. And people otherwise, would be okay with otherwise that. you we we know you're not serious. Right. Right. And it's not legalism. Like having a rule right. and trying hard does not equal legalism. Yeah. And it's I think sense. it's oh. I, I especially felt this when I was young in my faith, and I think this is a just a common thing when when people are young in their walk with God, is the moment they hear rules the word legalism pops into their head and that's it's just not the same thing having a rule and trying hard is not the same thing as having a legalistic attitude towards i'm doing this thing so that i can pridefully say i'm doing the thing so god loves me right yeah so he, here's an example of this right in the bible in both both titus chapter 1 and first timothy chapter 3 there is literally a checklist literally a checklist for the criteria that must exist in anybody who becomes an elder in a local church. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is so if that's legalism, then the Bible's legalistic. Right. Well, people don't listen to it, and they and <laughs> right. they ignore that checklist all the time. So yeah. Right. But like, if they're you know a younger college student age, people listen to this, and they they're like, man, that feels legalistic. If it's a list, and and it just intuitively they just feel like that must mean it's legalistic. Well, there are some lists in the Bible in the New Testament specifically put forward for Christians that we're to live up to, and, so, and, and that's not considered legalistic at all. The most famous list ever is in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, and right. people, and that's still, I mean, those all those rules, still those commandments still apply today, and I don't usually ever hear Christians arguing about that. They're never like the Ten Commandments are just full of crap, super legalistic, because they know that it's right, but as soon as you say something that is like 
like not lying and not stealing. You could you can legitimately say that that's wrong in this culture. A lot of people do it, but it's still wrong for the most part, like in everybody's eyes. But sex before marriage in this culture is not wrong. And so as soon as you say something that is culture countercultural, people start screaming legalism all the time. And I, I think that's some, I think it's some crap. I don't know where I was going. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is just part of it is like one is if uh, there's a lot of younger folks who feel like uh, like some kind of system is legalism and then you'll say, well, then will you listen to somebody older than you? And they don't like that either. So they don't want a system. They don't want coaching. They just want the ball and they just want to play. Yeah. And th- that just ends up. I just I see that over and over again. Right. Really, watch, really poorly. Watch any. I mean, watch that happen with a sport and you won't be like, this is beautiful. You'll be yeah. like, what is going on? Oh, yeah. yeah. And try to get kids to place little kids to place. Give kids just play soccer and then don't ref don't have codes to show where the ball is out of bounds and don't fun. mark off a goal and you just see what happens you get a fight is what you get you end up with a big fight all yeah. the kids are fighting with each other yeah even with adults like the first time i went to the princeton club to play basketball th- there was a fist fight and i was like this is cool i like this it's fun but wow that's crazy these are adults so yeah that makes sense yeah um yeah so yeah luke i mean what when it comes to exclusivity and dating, and I know we just talked about godliness is kind of shifting back to dating, exclusivity and this and that, that was one of the big things that people really didn't like at all either. Is that, oh, like yeah, Nick yeah. said, if if I'm dating a girl, taking her on dates, and then somebody else comes to you, and let's say we've been dating for a long time, and John comes up to you and is like, the Andy's lady is smoking and I like her, and you're like, yeah, go ask her out on a date. A lot. I people that made people feel very uncomfortable. But Luke, did you date what were people exclusively? About with it? Just, oops, I just kicked the thing. Um, just th- <laughs> that it's it's gonna hurt really bad. It's gonna hurt really bad if I'm dating somebody and somebody else mm-hmm. asks her out. That's gonna freaking hurt, and I and it sucks. And whether we like it or not, that's like the human part. You know, it sucks, and, and yeah, I just, get that. Yeah, it makes yeah, it makes sense. People don't like that. But it's, it, yeah, until you're engaged. Right. I think like you guys said a lot in the last podcast, or you have no claim on that person. Right. That's a phrase John uses a lot. So yeah, I, I do agree with that, but I don't know. I didn't interact with that personally very much, but it's, I agree with that principle. exclusively or did you have that op- open? Wait, I never set those terms. I guess I was never... I never felt like the dating period was this thing I was settling into, though, where I needed to... Like, that was kind of my mentality, I guess. But I was trying to figure out quickly if I was going to be proposing to whoever I was dating. So I wasn't... I In my mind, I wasn't sitting in it enough to have to think about that, I suppose. But, yeah, if someone was... If someone had pursued someone I was dating, I would have probably... It would have hurt, but I would have said, well, yeah, you should figure out if you like this guy more than me. At this point, yeah. If if, if she's and willing to go, out, if yeah. she's willing to go out, with a guy, well, you've been going out with her for six months, and she's willing to go out with this other guy who she hardly knows, that's a really helpful signal to you as a man. Right. And also, also like, there's a whole bunch of things you can lay out here. What, like, does a woman have to choose whether or not she wants to marry a man without the knowledge of w- what other men are interested in her? Like, I think she should be able to find out if there's an other man interested in her, and she should make a, be able to make a choice on the basis of fact. Mm-hmm. Or should one guy, because circumstantially another guy got at a girl one week earlier and asked her out that now he's got her locked down until she's yes or no. Like that seems very silly to me. Like what if you moved into an area 
two weeks after a young woman starts dating another guy, you find her yeah. to be like very much the kind of person you want to be with. But she's quote dating this other dude, right? Should you be like, well, I guess I got here two weeks late. That's it. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. I think you should ask her out. And and then it's up to her. See, what, one of the things I think is that if mostly what's happening is, is that um, guys are asking out girls, then really you have women who are, who have more options here. And I think that's, in, I think that's important. I think that helps them. And I think it signals to them things that will help them make decisions. And I think it also puts pressure on guys to be serious because the, if you've been dating a girl for more than like three months, a, a normally emotionally healthy woman is not going to go out with another guy if she's into you. She's simply not going to do it because she's emotionally bonded with you already. If she's willing to go out with another guy and you've been dating her for three months, that's a really good signal to you to get out if you're a guy. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a guy and you've been dating a girl more than maybe three months and she's considering going out with the other guy, there's only two possible reasons for that. One is she's not bonded to you, which is an important signal. The other possible reason is she doesn't think this is going anywhere, mm-hmm. which is another good signal, which means you need to decide as a guy, is this going somewhere? And are you sending the signals to her that you believe it's going somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Both of those are really important and helpful signals. The The openness there um, is important. But of course, this assumes that these relationships are chaste. I'm absolutely against sexually open relationships. Hmm. That's where you tend to get more yeah. of the carnage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, it would be very painful if somebody asked out the girl I was dating and she said yes. I'm not like I'm not arguing for this on the basis of this is like the more pain-free way to do it. It's like <laughs> heck no. That would that would suck if that happened. However, we're saying this is a healthier way and a more godly way to do it. Right. Right. Just because just because it might be more painful doesn't mean that I like think that I can be abdicated from the responsibility of doing it in the way that I also think is right. Right. Well, and where people Thinking that you were just going to be dating multiple girls at one time and never really... Is that what the, the idea people were getting? I just think That dating should be this weird thing where like you're not in a couple anymore or something? I think kind of that and also just the what they fact that it's saying. just so weird that, yeah. that you would tell somebody to go... I've like no, I've no, Nobody in my entire life has ever told me that and that you could go ask out another dude's girlfriend that like that's what gets you into fights and (laughs) so i do it all the time (laughs) yeah but so part of this is like the perverse incentives that this creates is that if a guy can get a girl into a dating relationship and that's now static right what that ends up doing with most guys is they just they lose all their sense of urgency especially if they have sexual access to her if she's having sex with them and that's, that's why would you get married? That's worse, considerably mm-hmm. worse. It's even worse in secular culture, but it's it's true among Christian couples too. You get this like guys just guys just take their foot off the gas if they're getting sex usually. I, yeah, I suppose people are generally missing the importance of marriage and how that is right. the real commitment you are making to someone. That's the covenant relationship that you are entering, and everything before that is not that. Mm-hmm. And so it's. People have maybe shifted yeah. it where dating is like the big decision where you're choosing someone, but that's not where you're right, really is, choosing to start yeah. a family unit. It's an audition. Dating is yeah. just an audition. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. yeah, I feel like not not it has been turned into kind of uh, 
it feels like marriage in a lot of situations. Well, people literally call it in a re- relationship. They're like, I'm in a relationship with that person. Yeah. And that's yeah. true. I mean, it's, it, it is descriptively true, uh, but at the same time, it yeah. tend, it's back, back to the fallacy of equivocation. Well, what do you mean by relationship? Well, sure. you're in an auditioning relationship is what you're in. Mm-hmm. And are you really treating it like that? And some people be like, well, I don't like auditioning relationship. That makes it feel very insecure because you can audition for something and not get the part. Yeah, but that's what you're doing. Right, yeah. <laughs> for God's sakes, like that's what you're doing. And you can't take your eye off that for one second. Because mm-hmm. if you're a woman and you take your eye off of that, then you're not really acting in the relationship the way you must. And if you're a guy, you're, you're neither of you deciding, are we closing this deal? It's insecure until you close the deal. And a woman can t- decide on closing the deal as much as a man. She can say, listen, if I don't see this relationship is going somewhere pretty quick, I'm going to leave it. Right. And a guy can say, I, this, I'm telling you right now, this relationship is going somewhere and it's going to, it's going to be there or not in a short period of time. And that short period of time is this amount of time. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of ways to make it. But the, the part of the thing is, is that you don't get the benefits of commitment without it. That's what's key. And in modern dating relationships, people are in a false way, enjoying and taking and signaling that they have the benefits of a covenantal relationship right, when they, they do don't. not have yeah. any such thing as that. And this is probably why marriages, people are delaying it so much because that commitment isn't very important in people's minds anymore. Like that's not the big step that they're actually trying to make with this person. And so they're just dating kind of endlessly and that's um, creating a lot of problems. And I think a big problem reason for that is, is that there's been a language developed about scripts yeah. that you shouldn't live your life according to some kind of script. But what that also means is to not live your life according to any kind of real plan. Yeah. And the problem is, is that lives lay out in pretty normal ways. You go through these aging processes in these life stages. And if you don't plan to hit your life stages on time, then it's, it's not fun. Right. And so it may be fun to be screwing around and having multiple partners or doing whatever you want or not be totally committed in your middle 20s. The problem, though, is, is that you're getting behind for the life stages that are coming. Right. Yeah. You're not you're not focusing on your job. You're not mm-hmm. starting a family. You're not building a marriage relationship with a woman that's really prepared to have children. Like if you if you have like three or four dating relationships where you're screwing around instead of finding somebody, marrying them. You're not giving yourself some time to be married to that person and really build up that relationship right, before kids yeah. enter. You, you screw around and then finally get married at like 27 or 28. Well, now the clock's ticking on fertility. Totally. Now you've only, you've only got a few years to have pretty reasonably likely for like, and, you know, right. and then life stages change. Like at what age do you want to be a grandparent? Right. You want to yeah. be a grandparent mm-hmm. at 78? Well then, yeah, to get married when you're, I, get married when you're 36 and have your first kid at 40. That'll work out great. Yeah. I told, I was talking to some um, juniors and seniors in college a couple weeks ago and I told them their twenties was the time to start a family. I'm like, your 20s is a decade to get married and start having children. <laughs> and get a real job. And, and, and they were all like shot. They looked at me like, really? I was like, yes, that is the time. Because delaying marriage causes all kinds of issues beyond just the yeah. fertility issues. Right. Um, That's like the, the cultural viewpoint, too. I was, totally. I was in Chick-fil-A on Wednesday. Uh, shout I saw out you there, actually. <laughs> yeah, I saw you there. And me and two of my friends were talking about this dating thing, and this lady was sitting next to us, and she was staring at us. We thought she was staring at her kid in the play place. She was staring at us <laughs> and listening to our conversation, and I had talked about how I've gotten rejected a couple of times and asking girls out and this and that mm-hmm. and about how, like, this whole dating thing. And she was like, oh, yeah, 
you're like young, just wait till you're like 35 yeah, or 40. Right. And that was the best advice that an old person gave me. And I was like, <laughs> like that's the best advice that she could give me. Right. Um, that's somebody that's not in the church, you know? It was like, and, just wait. Yeah, just yeah. just wait. It'll come. It'll be fine. She's like, I got married when I was 40, which is, you know, that's that's cool. I don't want to be married when I'm 40. That sounds like hell. You want to be married when you're 40. You don't. Want you to, I don't want to get, get married. Yeah. No, I want to be done with it all by 30. <laughs> I want 30. it to be all wrapped up. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 I. I don't want to be just getting married at 40 years old. That sounds absolutely terrible. Having kids that late, having to go like having kids that you're 60 and this and that. That just sounds like terrible. Yeah. But you that's do what not. The world is I, I'll just tell you right now, as somebody who's grappling with teenagers. Yeah. You do not want to be grappling grappling with teenagers in your late 50s and early 60s. Nope. It's just. It's no fun, man. It's, yep. It takes a lot of stress, and you need to be in the game. And there's, yeah, just moving stuff back just is not. It's not fun, and it's not fun for men or women. If you lay out male and female life stages, right? It's it's no better for women than for men, and no better for men than for women, unless as a man you have lechery planned into your life cycle. Like if you're planning on marrying a 24 year old when you're 40, then you know whatever. But you're still, I mean, you're still going to be a parent in your 60s mm-hmm. and 70s, maybe. Right which is horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, if you guys have anything else to say about this, this whole topic or no. Yeah. I think that this is definitely the last dating podcast <laughs> we're going to do because Luke made a good point. For a that while. Every, yeah. For, for a while, until yeah. next month. Um, <laughs> Luke, Luke made a good point that everybody's talking about dating. Everybody thinks that they know how to do it. And I mean, we're, we're like you said, we're giving advice. You guys give me advice. I'm not. Yeah, if you're a listener and you have a specific question, then I think we should be open to answering that because I, right. I think it's good to interact with our audience. But I think it. I think at first is if you're a believer, your your outlook on dating. You should ask yourself, how is my outlook on dating extremely different than my non-Christian friends? Hmm. If it's not very different than them, that should really be an, should an al- alarm. Should go on off and and then you should start asking some godly people some things and start to accumulate some knowledge about human nature how do people really behave what does scripture really say start putting those things together because i think one of the biggest problems that younger people tend to have in coming up with a prudent and wise and godly understanding of dating is they just don't understand human nature we've been so deceived and mistaught about how human beings function and what we need and who we are and what our most primal desires are and what male and femaleness means and all that that is so just blendered. It's there's like nothing left to it structurally. And we have these very strange ideas that are mostly expressivist ideas, like individual expressivism, like I should be able to do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. Which is why their your peers believe you have the right to consequence free sex, which doesn't exist. There's no such thing as that. Right, right. Yep. And if you don't get rehabilitated in your view of your your own human nature, your gender, your sexuality, all those things, you can't create a godly and biblical understanding of dating. Yeah. And if you can't... Or marriage you, or anything. Right. And if you can't, you've only got two options. You can either make it up as you go along mm-hmm. or you can turn to somebody wiser who has thought these through things and experienced them. You can turn to a system or a coach. Right? And you can utilize that wisdom until you have it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so for younger people and younger believers, especially like if you're at UW and like you're just saturated in that culture, I would say, yeah, this may seem quote legal, seem quote legalistic to you. Still, you need something that is diametrically opposed and completely different than what you see around you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, there are so many liabilities you can't see that yet that you're going to face. And I, we're, I, what we're saying to you is not, I'm not trying to control you. You do whatever you think is right. I'm trying to save you from an enormous amount of heartache mm-hmm. and not 
over a couple of years in your 20s. I'm trying to save you from heartache that you will experience for decades. Yeah, for the rest life. of people's lives, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, because when you if you come to me when you're 37 and you complain to me about what happened to you and you didn't take any of this advice, I'm not going to I'm still going to be sympathetic, but I'm not going to be able to help you then. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so is ne- is next next week Christmas? I think there's still one more full week till Christmas. Week. Okay. One more week. Cool. Well, that is it for this week. We wrap that up. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye.